Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. All right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. All right. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Isaiah chapter 11. Last service, everybody was just so excited to uh, eat less for the next month periodically in our, our fasting practice. I don't think everyone has ever been so excited for a series as they are for the fasting one. Um, I personally hate fasting. It's kind of terrible in many ways. I have some bad experiences I'll share in the coming weeks. And yet, I chose fasting uh, as, as the, the spiritual discipline practice for us this year because I think it's that important. Something I really don't like that I think is that substantial and meaningful and can, can deeply impact um, our, our lives. And so... That's about the extent I'm actually going to talk about fasting today. Today's going to be a little bit more of an introduction and a foundation we'll build on spiritual disciplines as a whole to lead us into uh, this practice uh, on specifically fasting. And to kind of be frank, what I'm asking you to do for the next four weeks can actually harm you. It can do some, some damage. The scriptures say that uh, pretty clearly what we'll read in just a minute is that if we kind of do this wrong, and kind of more specifically with the wrong heart, our embracing of spiritual disciplines can cause God to, it literally says, like, plug his ears to our prayers so that he won't hear us. Or uh, in a different portion, it says that he will turn his face from us so that he will not see us. And so there's some level of risk, if you kind of think about it that way, in embracing what I'm asking you to embrace with us, with me, over the, uh, the next month. Obviously, I still think it's worth it or we wouldn't be, be doing it, but I want to spend a week, this week, today, this morning, talking about some of those issues with spiritual disciplines that maybe you're familiar with if you grew up in the church, depending on what kind of church you grew up in. Uh, maybe you're not. Either way, hopefully this morning uh, sets up a good foundation for us. We'll, we'll begin reading in Isaiah chapter 1, uh, verse 11. It says this. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah to his people. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. And so to me, this poses the question for us regarding our spiritual disciplines, which others include prayer, solitude, silence, certainly fasting. Are our spiritual disciplines a multitude of sacrifices that the Lord does not, keyword, delight in? Because that's clearly possible. Hear what, what God is saying here. He sees zero value, no value at all in the sacrifices that they were bringing to him, And the why, the reasoning behind that not being valuable is really key. It's because they were half-hearted sacrifices. God's people at this time, or at that time, I should say, not too much unlike God's people during our time, 
have a propensity to make half-hearted sacrifices. We have all these compartments, our physicality, our emotional side, the political, the sexual, the intellectual, all parts of our lives. And we have this tendency when it comes to King Jesus to say, Jesus, you can be king of this part of my life. And Jesus, you can be king of this part of my life. And Jesus, you can be king of this part of my life. Maybe you can be an advisor as long as you turn your head every now and then on that part of my life, though. We don't sometimes want to trust him with all of our lives. What we just saying, everything that is in me, bless his name. Part of that means to trust him, to follow him in all things, not just the spiritual. And God was not pleased with half-hearted attempts to manipulate him. Really what was happening is his people wanted to live life their way, especially sexually, politically, but they recognized that God had power. They kind of thought of him as just this angry God, and so in order to appease him enough, they'd still make sacrifices. Religion was still a part of their lives, and what God is saying here is it's of no value. In fact, it gets worse than that. In verse 12, he says, When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? In essence, what he's saying is, the pressure you feel to come make these sacrifices to me, to do your religion, that pressure's not coming from me. So maybe today you sit here, maybe you came here today because you feel that type of pressure religiously, like God wants you to do that or you're going to pay the price somehow. And what we read in the scriptures is that pressure does not come from him. Now, context matters quite a bit. Again, half-hearted is kind of the, the name of the game here. They were bringing half-hearted sacrifices so that they could follow him in the halves of their lives that they chose at any given time rather than holistically trusting. They were seeking to, in essence, manipulate God. I kind of chuckled about that a little bit this morning before I got here as I was reading and praying and thinking, how insane is it that at times in my life, I think I can manipulate God? How insane is it that at times in your life, you think you can manipulate the almighty God of the universe? We, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we come and we sing songs about who he is. And yet, there's portions of our lives filled with the subliminal idea that we can manipulate him with our actions and saying the right prayer in the right way at the right time or, or giving or sacrificing or doing. But our Jesus cannot be purchased. He can't be bought, which is really good news. The pressure to sacrifice in that way, to appease his anger, to receive his blessing, that does not come from him. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't care about our time and our space and our dollars and our effort and our skill sets and our work. He does. He wants us to trust him with all of those things. He wants to be king over all of our lives. But out of love because he's good, not because we need to purchase his ear and his eyes. Move on to verse 13. He says this. He commands them. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. And then I love this sentence. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. It's like I can't do it anymore. Just stop. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. 
I am weary of bearing them. God can't stand to watch half-hearted people make half-hearted sacrifices all in this misunderstanding of trying to earn his love or his favor or his forgiveness. In fact, he hates it. Clearly, from cover to cover in the scriptures, that's never a part of his plan. Now, this is kind of crazy and a little bit scary to think that what I'm asking you to do, what I'm asking myself to do, what I'm asking us to do as we follow Jesus together, which is what a church is, to embrace the spiritual discipline of fasting, that you can clearly make an argument that Satan himself wants us to embrace spiritual disciplines and that he can manipulate and influence us into this type of religion that will actually harm us because we make it about us and our control. And we won't call it this, but our manipulation, or we'll call it influencing of God. So there's a right way and a wrong way to embrace spiritual disciplines. And I have no doubt in my mind that many of you that maybe grew up in the faith or have been following Jesus for a while have probably experienced both sides. A pressure that does not come from God that leads to unhealth. And then the beauty and the goodness and the life-giving nature of time spent with God and learning with God and just being with him, touching his presence. When we do embrace spiritual disciplines with the right heart, it's a matter of the heart. Verse 15 Here's the the dangerous part. He says this, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. As we seek to enter, what I think is going to be really a powerful time for us these next four weeks. We we need to understand this about spiritual disciplines and, and fasting is certainly under that umbrella. Spiritual disciplines are not payments to purchase being heard and seen by God. And so you can kind of just step back from your prayer time, from your devotional time, from your Bible studies, any other spiritual disciplines you do or don't have, and you can just pose that question. Am I doing this right now to be seen or heard by God? If so, your heart isn't in the right place. And ironically, you can start praying then. Just go, hey God, I don't think I'm doing this for the right reason. So I'm just gonna tell you that. I've said this before, but those are the most powerful prayers in my life when I'm just honest with God because I can't manipulate him. I can't change him. I'm not going to do anything to, to fix the situation. You just present to God and you watch him do good because that's what he does in our lives. I love how, how Dallas Willard frames this. He says this. We read these accounts speaking of what Isaiah is saying. And we seem to overlook that the attack there is not upon the practices or the the spiritual disciplines themselves, but upon their abuse. When such practices were conducted, as they often were, as expressions of fear and hatred of the material world, or as attempts to manipulate or impress God into others, they were being abused. So instead of aiding life and vital interaction with the kingdom of God, such activities became and still become exercises in human cleverness and superstition. They do nothing for the growth of our souls and godliness or the progress of God's cause in the world. Spiritual disciplines as a means or a a currency to attempt to purchase God's eyes and ear cause harm, always will. On the other hand, spiritual disciplines, embracing and enjoying and just benefiting from the presence of God, making him a priority, 
they do lead to blessing. The presence of God always leads to blessing. It doesn't mean we won't be called into hard things and, and suffering and, and challenging moments, but there's always blessing and good attached to his presence. It's a matter of the heart. So it's a, a little bit that I wanted to, to take a moment to frame of why spiritual disciplines can be dangerous, can be harmful, still worthwhile, but we have to approach them with the right heart. A pastor named uh, Matt Smethurst, I never know how to say his name, I should look it up sometime, but I haven't, but he has a lot of great, great quotes. He says this about spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are not about making you more precious to God, they're about making God more precious to you. That's another quick question you can pose to yourself to go, am I doing this with the right hearts? Am I doing this with the right posture? If I'm trying to earn God's favor, if I'm trying to please him, if I'm trying to be more precious to him, I'm doing this wrongly and I should stop. It's a burden he doesn't want to bear and we shouldn't either. On the other hand, if I'm doing it to learn to love him more, to just be with him and, and learn of his goodness, then the steps I'm taking, the posture is, is healthy, it's good. Jesus knew this, Jesus exemplified this, Jesus modeled this idea, this knowledge for us. After he was, after he was baptized, there's this incredible moment we read about where the Father speaks to Jesus, and many of you are familiar with that. He says, this is my beloved son, I take delight in him. Or depending on the, the translation, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. So, so what is happening? The father is saying something about Jesus' identity. It is established. Nothing needs to change about Jesus' identity. Nothing can be lost about it. Nothing can be earned from the father, and Jesus knew that. And then from that place, he goes into a place of solitude, fasting, and prayer. But notice the sequence. There's this keyword after. His identity is spoken and understood. And then, after Jesus embraces spiritual disciplines because of his relationship, not to earn the relationship. And that sequencing couldn't be more important. That sequencing is what we often get wrong. That sequencing is what Satan wants to reverse. Spiritual discipline should never be about earning God's ear or his vision. But we clearly see Jesus was disciplined, if you will, about the spiritual disciplines. I'm going to read just a list of verses for you. You don't need to turn there. We're not going to put them on the screen. But I want you to just hear really quick kind of a, a survey of Jesus consistently prioritizing these things. And think about it. If Jesus himself found it important to spend time with the Father, to be led by the Spirit in this way, how much more so is that crucial for us? Matthew 4 one through two, what I just talked about, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Don't worry, we will not avoid food for that long. That would be bad. Matthew 14, 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Mark 1, 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6, 12, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. 
Mark 6, 31 and 32. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Matthew 14, 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. I want you to notice two things. One, Jesus was disciplined about prioritizing spiritual disciplines because of the gain, the benefit, the need to be with the presence, to be with the Father. But notice the second thing. It cost him something. Many things, actually. It cost him some time, for sure. Clearly some sleep. He was getting up in the dark. I would say comfort. Maybe the more unique things that are actually more costly that maybe we're not willing to pay. It cost him some relationships. He had to say no to people that needed him to prioritize being with the Father. That's hard. I remember when we, my wife and I first had kids. I remember when I first got married. That was, that was a big adjustment. Going, I don't just have all my time. And then kids, that adds to it. And now I have many kids. Kind of like Joseph. There's... Keep coming. But there's people that need me, and I have to choose to say no. There's other responsibilities. There's a price to pay. Jesus did that. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to be misunderstood? Are we willing to say no to opportunities? Jesus was because time with the Father was that key. And it wasn't time to pay a price, like, God, look at how much time I give you. Bless me. No, it was just being with him out of understanding how good it actually was. Discipline sounds like legalism, but it's not. Legalism can often follow discipline when we do it wrong, but that doesn't mean that they're one and the same. Again, this was not about earning the Father's love. Jesus knew who he was, Delighted in the beloved son of the father. We need to embrace our identity. And from that, we embrace the gift that the spiritual disciplines can be. I think a, a life without spiritual disciplines is, is sort of like a beautiful home. Picture like the, the perfect home, your dream house. And everything's built exactly the way you want. Customized. It's built well. Everything's ready to go. And you move in except for some reason you're too lazy to turn on and pay for the utilities. So you got your, your whole home and your setup, except it's always cold in the winter, and in the summer it's hot, and you don't have running water, you go down to some dirty river and haul the water, and you cook with fire in this beautiful home that you dreamed up and planned, and all you have to do is just have a job and pay the bills, have the, the utilities turned on, but you're like, ah, I don't think it's worth it. I don't, I don't know about you, but I've never made the conscious decision in my adult life to be like, hey, babe, I don't think we should pay the utilities this month. I don't, running water's kind of overrated. We'll just go get it somewhere. I know it's kind of cold this month, but fires are nice. We'll just all huddle up in the living room. Like, I've never made that conscious decision. I don't think I ever will. But I think spiritually, there's kind of a parallel. I think spiritually, which then influences all of our life, they're all intertwined, we go, you know what? I've got the dream house. God is 
chosen to make his residence within me, to remake me into human the way I was made to be. But I don't think I want to be disciplined. I don't think I need those things. I don't know that it's worth it. I actually think the, the primary issue is not that we're not willing to pay the price. I think the primary issue is we don't recognize how good God is. The vision of what we get from the presence of God is way too shallow. That's a much greater motivator than a negative. And I think it's one we, we miss. A, a big reason that, that spiritual disciplines are, are so important uh, is this. Your life eternal has been won. But your life for this day is still being fought for. And that has nothing to do with salvation or forgiveness. Your life eternal has been won, but your life for this day is still being fought for. There's this daily tug of war, this daily battle between the spirit who wants to instill and cause the, the life of Christ to flourish within us for us to be who he's made us to be and saved us to be and rose for us to be. And then sin crawling and clinging to, to grasp onto and not let go of the crown for our head and our heart. And every single day, it's a battle. And every single day, we don't ever win that battle. We either submit to sin or we submit to the Spirit. Those are the choices because we're not God. We'd like to be like God, but we'll submit to sin or we'll submit to the Spirit, one or the other. Paul describes this in, in Romans, well, all throughout Romans, but specifically Romans 6 and 7 and, and 8, this tug of war, this ongoing back and forth battle that's probably familiar to you. Uh, I'm going to read it. It's a bit long. I'm going to read a chapter and a half or something. Because I think it's good. I think it's healthy to read good chunks and portions of the scripture. So I'd encourage you to read along, uh, whether it's on your phone or, or if you have a Bible with you. But listen to the back and forth, to the tug of war, to the ongoing battle Paul experienced. We are experiencing because it directly connects to what we're talking about. I'll begin in verse 15. Paul says this. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do. But I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin and the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this dying body? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am a slave to the law of God but with my flesh to the law of sin. Therefore, 
no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death, meaning there's no more pressure to make sacrifices that God doesn't want anyway. To purchase his ear to listen to our prayers and his eyes to see and bless a vision for our lives. That price has been paid. That purchase has been made. It can't be done again. What the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. What a great two words. God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in flesh like ours under sin's domain and as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh think about the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit about the things of the spirit. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's law, for it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since the spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers... We are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Is that something you have felt before, experienced? Seeing a vision for what is good and what God wants and wanting to do it, and yet there's this other power, this other thing enticing us, drawing us to a different vision of what is good. And somehow it's posed as a better type of good than what God's vision is. And so like Paul, we don't do what we want to do. We do the opposite, and it's back and forth, back and forth. Again, our life eternal has been won, but our life in this day is still being fought for. Who will reign as king is still being fought for for this day. Will it be the spirits or will it be sin? And what that impacts is everything. Your relationships, your family, your finances, your stuff, your space, your sin. It's all connected. Two things that spiritual disciplines do for us. Number one, by the power of the spirit, spiritual disciplines put to death sin in you. Here in Romans and elsewhere, Paul says that we are to put off, or in other harsher terms, to put to death the old self, the sinful king leading our lives. Not just the spiritual, but all of our lives. Our sinful nature is always trying to reclaim the throne in our lives. But spiritual disciplines defend 
against that. Spiritual disciplines give the Spirit this increased access and power within our lives to fight against sin. Martin Luther kind of comments on, on this concept in a way. He says, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Sin should not get too comfortable in our lives. Sin shouldn't be able to build a home. Sin shouldn't be able to nest and plan and invite others over. It should be constantly getting kicked out, put to death, put off. As Paul said, we put that to death and it's replaced with the new Christ's vision for our truest self. Which leads to the second thing spiritual disciplines do and why we want to embrace this fasting practice. By the, by the power of the Spirit, spiritual disciplines bring the life of Christ to life within you. Christ's death was not all he came to do. We weren't just saved from hell, we were saved for life with him. And these spiritual disciplines allow that life to flourish, to blossom, to grow. It's this out with the old and in with the new. It's kind of like the process for, for humans of losing baby teeth and, and gaining the adult ones. You do it like 20 times-ish. And it's kind of interesting when you, when you think about it. Kids that lose their teeth have almost nothing to do with the process of losing their teeth. In the last little bit, it feels like they have everything to do with it. There's wiggling and punching and tying and dropping bowling balls down staircases and slamming doors. I, don't, I said in the last service, I don't think humanity has ever been more creative than with the plethora of ways we've come up with to pull teeth. But it's a natural process. It just happens. The old is actually put to death. The roots die and decay and pop out to make room for the new. And if you've watched it, recently at all, it's really an awkward experience. And there's two stages of, of awkward. The first is the gaps in the mouth, and the kids smile, and they speak funny. But then the, the more awkward stage is when the adult teeth come in, and they're way too big for their mouth and face. And there's like a one to three year phase where you got to take as many pictures as possible for when they get married, because there's the slideshow, and those are the pictures you want to put up. You go like, that is what you looked like at one time. Sometimes the, the process of, of losing teeth for these kids is like fun and they're all excited about it. Sometimes it's painful and bloody. Sometimes it goes quick and there's a bunch in a row. Sometimes there's a, a gap. It doesn't just happen once. There's actually a whole lot of parallels there to us with spiritual disciplines. It's not a one-time thing. Sometimes it's just good and fun and exciting and you watch Christ working within you and you're like, yes, this is what I was made for. And then there's other times when the death part and the pain of the old dying takes a little bit longer and it's painful and miserable and you just want it to be over and it's not. And it's just fighting to stay there. And it's awkward for us to let Christ be king of all. We're not good at that. Like I said in the beginning, we're good at compartments. Jesus, you can be king of my, my spirituality. I'm all in. Mm, Jesus, I'll sprinkle in some of my finances you can be king of. 
Jesus, you can have some of my time. But sexuality, I don't know about that. I think this was all written a long time ago. Generosity, ah, have you seen my bills? Have you seen what my neighbors have? Hospitality, you want me to invite them over? Do you know who they voted for? We need help making Jesus king. I like what what Dallas Willard says about this too. He says this. This is key. We are saved by grace, of course, and by it alone, and not because we deserve it. That sentence is important. That is the basis of God's acceptance of us. But grace does not mean that sufficient strength and insight will be automatically infused into our being in the moment of need. In other words, grace alone does not ensure we'll undertake the proper actions toward that life. We do have a part in our body's transformation. The body God has given to us is one that is plastic in the primary sense of being pliable and capable of being formed in various ways. This is the tug of war. This is the back and forth. The very substance of our bodies is shaped by our actions as well as by grace and to pathways of both good and evil. And this has nothing to do with salvation. That battle's been won. That purchase has been made. There will be no returns. But who is king in your life this day is still being fought over. Spiritual disciplines defend us against sin and spiritual disciplines empower the the space within us to be filled with the life of Christ. We have a role to play. It's not the primary role, but it is an important role. Not earning, not purchasing, but honestly, loving Jesus enough, recognizing how good he actually is enough to be disciplined to spend time with him, to be disciplined to benefit just like any other relationship. There's, there's no relationship that is good and healthy without discipline. I don't know why we would think there would be with God. I'll end with this. If you want to please God, if you want to have him forgive you, if you want him to place his favor on your life, spiritual discipline, disciplines as a, a payment or a sacrifice will fail you 100% of the time. So just stop, just quit. It's not worth it for you. God has no interest in it either. That should be freeing. Yet, if you want to be a godly husband or wife, want to parent as God has designed for us to, representing his character, if you want to be a hospitable and generous neighbor and friend, want to be human the way he's made us to be, then spiritual disciplines are a pretty incredible pathway to let the Spirit work in our lives. In Christian circles and church, we read it in the scriptures, we, we say and hear a lot these, these words of Jesus, follow me. But we also like to choose where we follow him. Like, oh, you know what? I'll meet back up with you over there, Jesus. I'm going to go this way first. I see a detour. It's kind of like a shortcut. But he just says, follow me, not when you want to. Trust me, no matter what. And spiritual disciplines, including fasting, it's one of the places he went that he says, follow. So I'm excited for the next month. I'm hopeful that you'll follow us, follow with us as we follow Christ, not to earn anything from him, 
to be with him because he's that good. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love that is given unconditionally. I ask that you help us to, to trust you in the, in the portions of our lives that we're clinging to the crown. May you help us to give that up. Overwhelm us with your goodness. Help us to release anything we're holding on to. We look to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to our teaching of the week. We are so grateful to partner with you in sharing the love of Jesus in a world that really deeply longs for it. And whether you're new here, seeking more information, looking for a church community, or considering financial partnership, go ahead and visit restorationaz.org for more details. Okay, let's continue making a difference together. So how do we do that? By remembering Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.